Well, tonight, I just want to take our remaining time. The kids are having a, a party back there. They, they have a lot of fun things for them, and I get you for the last few minutes together. Tonight, I want to look at the first few verses of, of Matthew chapter 1. Uh, if you remember those that came to our, our Christmas banquet, I spoke on the intertestament period, that 400 years, we call the 400 years of silence between uh, the testaments. And there in Malachi's last words, somewhere between 423 and 430 and 423 BC, God goes silent. And the world really fell into a deep, deep darkness. And we spoke about that. And, uh, but we also taught that Jesus Christ, as the Bible teaches, Christ broke that darkness and he came in to the world. And, and he is the light of the world. And with him came his gospel. When we look at chapter 1 in Matthew, we come to a very fascinating passage of Scripture. The Gospel of Matthew is the first book written after this 400 some odd years of God's silence. And Matthew breaks this centuries long silence with the genealogy of Jesus. And isn't that interesting? That the Bible would start that way. And, and Matthew has this inspired strategic reasoning for doing that. This is the way the New Testament is going to start. There's an inspired strategic reason for do that. The goal that Matthew had of his book was to persuade an argument that Jesus Christ, a persuasive argument, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So he starts by tying the person of Jesus to the history of the Jews and particularly to the lines of Abraham and David. So Matthew sets out to prove, it's a very Jewish book, to prove that Christ was the long-awaited one the Old Testament spoke about. So now, think about Matthew as he writes this. He's very well aware of, the, of how the story ends and what happens as he pins as the Spirit of God moves him along and every jot and tittle the Spirit's moving him along to write it. He already knows. In fact, we know Matthew was written somewhere between 45 to 50 A.D., um, Christ has already come. He knows Jesus is the Messiah. He knows he was crucified. He knows he was resurrected. He knows that he's ascended on high. Matthew would believe that he is at the right hand of the Father, awaiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. Matthew knows all that. But yet God has him write down this history so that you and I would know and understand that Jesus Christ is the one the Old Testament spoke of. And so he must have had a, a great joy to pin this down as the Spirit moved him along. More importantly, he knows why Jesus was re rejected. Because the Bible's very clear as we see the life of Jesus, as we're working through Mark on, on Sunday mornings here, we see the rejection of Jesus Christ over and over and over by the leadership, by the people, and eventually the masses will cry, crucify him. But we know, and Matthew really begins to unveil that unpack it in fact the seed of jesus's rejection did not start when jesus was born it started long before that and the very reason the pharisees and the sanhedrin and the leadership um, and most of the jews rejected jesus was already evident there was things they did not like about the lord jesus before he even would start his ministry there's two things that would really jump out. Number one, that they would reject Jesus is because he taught that there was only one way to the Father and that was through him. Now that's huge. 
If you think that you can get to heaven by doing this and not eating that and not touching that and doing all that, and someone comes along and says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6, thank you. No one, (laughs) think about that. It's an absolute statement. No one gets to the Father except through me. They didn't like that. (laughs) Not when you built your whole life, your whole um, teaching around the fact that you could do a list and gain the kingdom of God, and Jesus says, nope, you don't get there except through me. So Jesus was the first one to begin to teach Christ alone, salvation. Though the Old Testament pointed to a deliverer, that a delivery alone by this deliverer would be it, Matthew highlights that. The second reason, I want you to get this today because we're going to look at the first six verses here in a minute. The second reason the Jews rejected Jesus was because of the global nature of his message. You go, well, what do you mean by that, Scott? The Jews did not care for the fact that Jesus ministered outside of the Jewish culture. They didn't like many things that took place in the Old Testament as uh, God collected people along the way. But this was always God's plan. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Abraham is called, right? Remember this? We just finished Genesis not too long ago. On Wednesday nights, we're in Exodus now. But God comes to Abraham and he says, look, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. In verse 3 of chapter 12, it's so important. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who will curse you. And then he says this. And in you, there's a little prepositional phrase that is very important hermeneutically. In you, I will bless all of the families of the world, in a sense, is what he's saying. So in this, in you, Abraham, there's a seed in you. That's going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 of the one who would crush the head of the serpent. That's what that's tied to. In you, all of the families. So right in his genealogy, as we're going to see here in a moment, it was set out that it was never just purely a Jewish thing. It was for the world. One of my favorite verses when I think about God's direction for salvation is Isaiah 49, 6. You've heard me quote this before. But God said this in this, what we call the, um, the suffering servant section of the book of Isaiah. He said, it's too small a thing that you should be my servant, speaking of the coming Christ, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. Now listen to this. I will also make you, speaking of the coming Christ, a light of the nations. And then this quote, listen to this. So that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. It's always been God's plan to reach us Gentiles. <laughs> From the beginning. And this set him at odds with the leadership of the Jews. So Jesus, intentionally, when he comes and we study his ministry, his preaching ministry is often to the outcast. He does things that just rile them up. He preaches the gospel of the kingdom to sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, zealots. All of you know these are Zacchaeus's and Matthews and Mary Magdalene's and Peter's. He goes after these that are outcasts to the Jews. But he also brought this message to the Gentiles. Think about some of the people that Jesus reached. He showed great compassion and mercy to a Roman centurion's servant first of all he's a roman and then his servant who knows what his servant was because the bible doesn't tell us of what ethnic diversity that guy was 
And one of the first people that Jesus deals with is this foreigner. Shows great mercy to them. The Jewish leaders did not like this. He healed a man that was possessed by demons living in the pigs. Do you remember that? Now, probably not a Jew. If he was, he was in a lot of trouble out there raising hogs. And Jesus heals this demonic man that has legions of demons in him. Next, we see him heal the Canaanite daughter's woman. You remember that story where this Canaanite woman, God grants her so much faith to believe she comes to Jesus. And Jesus even, he's trying to make a point. You remember when he does this? He said, look, I've come for the household of Israel. And she says, remember this? Even the dogs need crumbs from the table. Wow, what a humbling statement. And Christ healed her daughter on the moment because of the faith that she had in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, we see this over and over. He receives crowds of Gentiles who came to him and even went, at least we know, at one time on a missionary journey outside of the Jewish area. He went to where? John chapter four, woman at the well, Samaria. Jews would cross around. He went right through the middle because he had a divine appointment with a woman who was on her fifth husband. Amazing. He was constantly showing he was not just come to save the household of Israel, those who would believe by faith. He was after the entire world. And this was too much for the Pharisees. They did not care for this, and they did not care for his course that he had set on. But Matthew shows us that not only has he always been uh, following God's plan, that God's plan had Gentiles in his gospel target, but Gentiles have already been part of it. And I want to show you that tonight. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, um, we won't read this whole genealogy, but look down to chapter 1, verse 17. I just want to show you how they break this down. There's, There's three sections of 14 generations. And I did the math today, and if that these people lived an average of 75 years, when some of them lived a lot longer than that, um, you know, of course, uh, some of them lived in the 170s, Abraham and Jacob and so forth. Uh, if they lived uh, 75 years, the math comes out to really just a very young earth, like we believe, somewhere around six to 7,000 years old. And this is the genealogy of Jesus. But notice in verse 17, it says, all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. There's one 14. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. That's the third 14. And then the final, that was the second 14. The third 14 is from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Now, look with me back at the first 14 verses 1 through 6 the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah the son of David the son of Abraham Abraham was the father of Isaac Isaac the father of Jacob Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers Judah was the father of Perez and Perez Zerah by and Zerah by Tamar uh, Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadad, and Amminadad the father of Nashon. Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz by the father of Obed by Ruth. Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse the father of David the king. David the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. 
in this first section, I want to point this out. I want you to see this. It's actually marked in my Bible so I don't forget this. Is there is four clearly marked out Gentiles in this genealogy. See, this has always been God's plan. This is why the Jewish leadership did not care for this. It's obvious that he has this. There's these four women listed in here, and I want to show you them in a minute. But think about this. There's obviously names of 14 fathers here, right? And so there could easily be 14 mothers as well written down here. But God chooses to pull out four women, not all 14. He chooses four women out of this. And it's staggering the ones he chooses to put in this line of the Lord Jesus Christ and also to teach us a lesson. So Matthew doesn't include all 14 mothers, but just four, and all four of them are Gentiles. Now, he does this obviously to make a point. And this is why we study our Bibles, because we want to know God better. We want to know why he does this. And God was, he was never ever opposed to graphing in Gentiles. He was thinking of us from the beginning. His goal was always to graft them in into his promise, into Abraham's seed. Galatians, a great book, is, uh, Paul is arguing the doctrine of justification and how one de- becomes declared righteous. It's not by works. If, and Paul says at the beginning, if anybody tries anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, let him be anathemed. And in the middle of this, in chapter 3, he says, even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned or credited him for righteousness. So salvation comes by faith alone through Christ alone. Right? That's, that's his driving message. But then he says this, Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So God takes us by faith and puts us into a family, not of just Jews, but Jews and Gentiles, made up. And this has always been God's plan. This verse is staggering. Think of this. This is Galatians 3.8. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify Gentiles by faith, listen to this, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. Wow, what a statement. God was thinking about us. Now think about these women here for a moment. I want to point them out. Notice that Tamar, she's in verse 3. Tamar was clearly a Gentile. The Bible tells us in Genesis that she was a Canaanite. And one of the sons of Judah married her, and he died And the son behind them was supposed to marry her and and bring up a seed. But he wouldn't do it. And he refused to. And and here, remember the story of Tamar. We always thought Tamar was this bad, bad girl. But as we studied it in the Bible, we began to realize she had, her father-in-law had promised her and he failed to keep that promise. So here, this Canaanite woman, she dresses up like a prostitute, seduces her father-in-law and has a child from her. And guess who's in the lineage of Christ? That child from a Canaanite woman. This would drive, this would have drove the Jews crazy, this genealogy. They would not have liked this. Second woman we find, notice, is Rahab. She is um, down in verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Now you remember her, don't you? She is this Gentile, probably a Canaanite woman. She is in what city? Jericho. 
She's a spy. The Bible says she believed God. And God wiped out everybody but her and her family. And she becomes in the lineage of Christ. This, this, this group that, that was pagan as can be, totally set apart from God, and God saves this woman. I hope you get a kick out of that. Because he is not looking for the righteous, he's looking for the sinner. And he tells us over in the scriptures, if you're a sinner, you don't need me. You're on your way to hell. <laughs> if, you're, if you're righteous, if you're a sinner, you do need me. That's what I meant to say. If you're a sinner, you need me. Next woman, Ruth. This is staggering. Ruth is in there. Now notice she's in the bottom of five there, end of five. Um, Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. Now, it doesn't take us hard to think about that precious book in the Bible called the book of Ruth. And Jim Neuhauser did a great job, if you remember when he preached on Sunday morning back at our Bible conference. He basically said that Naomi, who called herself Mara, remember she was totally depressed and because sin had drove her into that depression, she basically cursed her children to hell. Go back to your gods, go back to your people, i.e. you're going to die and go to hell. But God had a different plan for Ruth, and God instilled faith in Ruth. And she believed. Remember what she said? Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Well, here's Ruth, and she, she's a Moab woman. Now, <laughs> do you remember where the Moabs came from? I mean, we've got children in here, so we're a little more rated G. But you realize that, where it came from, right? This is the fleeing of Lot and his daughters. They think the world has been erased. They think they're the only ones on the planet. And the Moab tribe, the Moab group of people, is born out of incest. She's in the lineage of Christ. Do we, think, do we ever think that people are outside of the reach of Christ? I, I study this and I go, Lord, there's no one outside of your reach. And certainly, God, you're sovereign. You know whose are yours. You're God. You draw people to yourself. That's your prerogative. And you do that. But we stand amazed who God seeks to save. Let's start with you and me. Why us? You go, I, 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 I wasn't a Moab. I wasn't a Canaanite woman. Oh, man, leave you to yourself? You'll make those girls look righteous. Leave us to our own hearts, our own wicked desires that are only curved by some morality that we were brought up in. You can imagine how wicked we could become if it was not for God who opened our hearts and mind. There's one more woman. We know who she is. She's Bathsheba. We're not too sure about her, but her husband was called Uriah the Hittite. Another nation that God promised to drive out, a wicked, godless nation. And doubtlessly, there's a very good chance that she was a Hittite herself. And yet, here she is. She's taken by David. She is in an adulterous affair with David. Um, probably more on David's fault than any. I mean, she would have been terrified. Her husband's murdered. <laughs> it's in a mess, isn't it? She's in the line of Christ. It, it, it doesn't cease to amaze me what God does. And interesting enough, Matthew doesn't include people like Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel. 
Now, the Hall of Faith in, in Hebrews 11, uh, 11 uh, includes a lot of those dear sisters, those dear women in faith. But, but nowhere in here are they recorded in here. God chooses four Gentiles who make the point that the gospel is for sinners, and particularly for Gentile sinners. It's amazing. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus has come along in verse 9, he collects Matthew, he finds Matthew a tax collector, a hated, hated Jew by the Jews. He, he is, he's a sellout. He's a turncoat. He's, he's, you don't want anything to do with this guy. Jesus comes along, says, follow me. When the master calls, there's no way you reject him. It's irresistible, and he gets up and follows him. But then the Bible says in Matthew 9, verse 10, then it happened. I like that phrase. And then it happened that Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, and behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and dined with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? Pagans is the word. Why would he do that? We would never do that. We, we would never stoop that low. But when Jesus heard this, verse 12, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. And he's not talking that they are righteous. He's talking about self-righteousness. So this was Jesus' mode. This is why he's rejected. But Matthew is proving that he is the Messiah in his lineage. proves so. And think about this. Uh, see if you can get this down in your mind for a moment. Jesus will not be born into the world with a sinless family. Jesus is not born into the world with a sinless family. You know, you think about, well, he wouldn't have been born in mine, I know that much. But we, we kind of, uh, Catholicism and some of the things out there have kind of taught, you know, this immaculate stuff and all that. No, no, no. This line is a mess. And we only talked about the girls. Some of these guys in this line, take Judah himself. I mean, he's a train wreck, as we saw in, in Genesis. There are so many problems in this line of godlessness. And so Jesus is not born into this sinless family. This, this makes people uncomfortable to this day. And this is why um, some religions come up with the immaculate conception. They try to soften uh, the awkwardness that Christ was born into this sinful genealogy. But the Bible takes care of that. Romans, excuse me, Luke chapter 1, verse 35. There the angel says, listen, Mary's going, how is this going to be? You're telling me I'm going to be pregnant? I don't know a man. I'm betrothed to this man, but I've never been with him. She's still a virgin. She's pure. And he says, look, the Holy Spirit's going to come over you. It's going to overshadow you. This supernatural event is going to be take place where the Spirit of God will place this child in your womb. So he is set apart from the sinfulness of the family line. And we don't, wanna, we don't dance around that at all. Joseph and Mary needed their son to die for them. <laughs> right? And we, and we begin to understand that. And that's so good for us because, yes, he needed to die for me. He needed to die for my family, my wife, my children, all those who would believe. What a blessing to know those things. But for him to be truly human, he had to be born to somebody. He had to be born to somebody. 
and it comes into a line of people with serious immorality in their past. Serious immorality in their past. This is where Jesus came into the world through. Not his sin, their sin. He did not come in a perfect family. He was perfect when he came. So, um, uh, when Jesus turns up preaching to the Gentiles, we shouldn't be surprised. These are his distant relatives, isn't it? You know, the Jews are like, why would you go to Samaria? Why wouldn't he? <laughs> Those are his distant relatives that are in his lineage. So Christmas morning, I want you to think about this as we close. Christmas morning will never be exclusively Jewish. It is a celebration given by a sovereign God and a sovereign plan to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so Christmas is celebrated around the world. And our dear missionaries, you go look at that list of folks out there and think about them, they will celebrate and teach this same truth in so many cultures around the world. The, you know, there's, there's certain cultures that have Hanukkah and, uh, you know, different, <laughs> different things that are unique to that culture. Christmas crosses everything because Jesus came to save the nations. He came to save the nations. So uh, as I, want you, I want you to just put a little thought in your head as, you, as we work towards Christmas. And by the way, Sunday I'm going to preach the rest of Matthew uh, verses 18 through 25 as Jesus de- uh, Joseph deals with the angel there. Um, but I want to put this, head, this thought in your head. Have you thought of Christmas as missions? I hope you think about it today. Christmas tells us that God loves missions. We, we, don't have to, we don't always put that together, do we? But when you study his genealogy and you study our own lives, what he's done for us as, as sinners that he would come and save us from our sins, from all walks of life, from all ethnic diversity in this room, alone just right here, let let alone around the world. I'm telling you, Christmas is about missions. So put that in your thought as you talk with your kids, maybe around the tree on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve or whatever you do. Think about that that babe in the manger's goal was to save the people. Jesus said it this way, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He, He crossed all lines and he's still doing that today. And so Merry Global Christmas to you. I hope you think about that a little bit. I had fun thinking about this uh, this week, and uh, I hope you're encouraged. Let's pray, and then you can grab your little ones. Father, thank you for a time in the Word today. We are so grateful for our music and more ministry. Uh, Lord, we're thankful for those dear uh, adults that teach them both theory and theology, and then teach them how to practice it. Lord, this is good news. Um, our children are learning big truths even in their small little bodies they are learning big truths lord and we thank you that we are not a ministry that should be entertaining but to teaching and in developing coming alongside moms and dads and grandparents um, to be an instrument to help the children know you lord but father we also thank you for a message like this that we can look at the first six verses of the new testament despite all of the other ones we referred to we looked at six verses And we realize that we have a very global Christmas. Christmas is about missions. God loves to save the lost. He loves to save sinners. 
And there is no sin greater than his mercy. And so, Lord, we thank you. I think I can speak for many in this room tonight. We thank you that you saved us. We were wretches. Left to ourselves, we deserved hell's fire. And yet you opened our eyes by faith. You gave us faith to believe. You gave us an understanding of your son through his word. You placed your spirit within us. And now we can look at a passage like this and say, wow, out of all the women that could be recorded in this, you chose those four, Lord. And so, Lord, thank you for teaching us that. May we remember these truths throughout this season, Lord, as it gets a little busier and busier as the days go on. Lord, thank you again for our children. Bless them, Lord. Bless the families that are here, Lord. We pray for dads, particularly in this room, Lord, that they would rise up and grow and that they would be discipled so they can disciple their own children, Lord. And so we pray that we would uh, develop a culture of discipleship in our families here, Lord. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.